and welcome to Once More with Commentary. I'm Jenny. And I'm Allie. Oh, and we're a Buffy podcast and Angel podcast. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> no, always now. Always from now on. What if one week we just like, I don't know, like mixed it up and we were like, we're only talking about Buffy. I don't no. feel like anyone would be paying enough attention for that to matter. <laughs> Is that depressing? No. <laughs> eh, but maybe we'll do it someday. Mix it's it like, it's going to be that day we like finally hit a two hour episode limit. Yeah. <laughs> be like two parter. Couldn't get to Angel this yeah. week. Yeah. 90 minutes on Buffy, 30 minutes on Angel. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe when we review once more with feeling. Yeah. An episode that I now know the name of. <laughs> but you know, it's with all that the commentary. Name of our podcast. Yeah. Also, I'll sing the whole thing for everyone. Just kidding. We definitely get sued. <laughs> Bonus episode, Once More with Feeling Karaoke. Yes. They have that. I'm sure I've said this on the podcast before, but there's at least one karaoke place in New York City that has the Buffy soundtrack, and I've done it before, and it was amazing. Which is so unfair, because I feel like I go to karaoke places in San Francisco, and they don't even have music from, like, 2010. I know. Nobody has anything from Carly Rae Jepsen except for Call Me Maybe, and I always get really mad about it. Yeah, what if you want to sing Emotion? I do. <laughs> That's all I want is to sing emotion. <laughs> they never have it. They're never going to. It wasn't popular enough, I guess. Ugh. Um, anyway, so this week we're talking about episode 12. So for Buffy in season four, it's a new man. And for Angel, it's an episode called Expecting. Um, Ooh, I've certainly got some a... thoughts about both of them. So pregnant with uh, meaning. <laughs> Hey, hey, hey. No, no puns on this podcast. <laughs> Buffy is a pro-pun show. I think we're allowed uh, to pun. Curses. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> fine, fine. You were mistaken. If no, no. <laughs> was that in this episode? No, that was, it was. the last one. It made oh. me laugh out loud. They're all kind of blurring together because we've been having a little bit of a weird recording schedule, and now I'm like, I don't know what week it was which one. Um, I do really like yeah. that one. That was funny. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I guess before we get into it, <laughs> we were going to mention, just to seem like we're on top of our Buffy news, that Ugh. there's been like an, another round of like mumblings of some sort of Buffy reboot. But honestly, I'm so out of the loop that I like, I barely know anything about what was said. Some Fox executive or something. Yeah. So thing. I very intentionally did not explore past the little bit I saw on like Twitter or something. Mm-hmm. And some, I think it was Nerdist podcast did like a, it was like just a, an item in like some, you know, whatever pop culture discussion they were having where I guess Fox is potentially discussing rebooting Buffy. Cause like they've also mm. done like X-Files. Like right, that's their thing right. right now, right? Like they're just like, instead of coming up with good shows, they'll just rehash just everything from the nineties. And um, yeah. so, you know, I guess, they own the rights to Buffy, apparently. Does that make sense? I don't... I would have thought... I forget how those rights break down. Yeah. I would imagine Joss... You Whedon know what? No, I bet rights. they do because the Buffy reruns used to air on FX. Hmm. So it makes sense if Fox owns it in some way. But regardless, they're the ones talking about it. And um, some of the speculation was like whether... Like, I guess ideally they would do it with Joss Whedon, but, like, would they really mm-hmm. do that given the current, like, Me Too climate and, like, his yeah. um, public profile at the moment doesn't really jive with that? And, yeah. um, like, there's no way any of the original actors would ever come back without him. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, like, I didn't look much past that because I don't really think they need to do a Buffy reboot. I know. And really I am really sad that they would be talking about it. And yeah. even if it was the full original cast coming back for like a 10 episode I run, like don't I don't really want to see like the Scoobies pushing 40 trying to fight evil. Like I feel like more than anything, that would just be crazy depressing. Like yeah. to I mean, see like middle aged no, people like still in this life. So almost no reboots have worked for me. Maybe no, not. And I, mean, I can't you think can't, of anything that's worth for You me. can't bring Angel and Spike back because how are you supposed to explain that these vampires have magically aged when they're yeah. not supposed to? I mean, yeah. you know, James Marsters and David Boreanaz look pretty good still, but they don't mm-hmm. look like they did, you know, 20 years ago. 20 so. years ago, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so just, I yeah. think there's just so many reasons to not do it. So I beyond the fact that there were, like, rumblings about it, I I 
purposely yeah. did not investigate. I, I remember, I, I know we've talked about this once before, because since we've been doing this, there had been some other comment made one time, but yeah. Ugh. <sighs> I'm also just really over, I mean, it's like not original to say that, but I am really over reboots. The least they could do is do something that's a, like a different spinoff. You know, like there's that, there is that comics comic book about like a rogue slayer post season seven. And it's like, man, there's still so many other things you could do to tie into this universe that wouldn't involve like retreading the exact same stuff. There's a whole comic called Frey that's about was, a slayer yeah. in like, you know, the oh, that's far what I was distant thinking of, not future. A so like, Sorry. why Frey not Frey is what that? I was thinking of, but I just said the wrong thing. Exactly. Like, yeah, great. Tie it in. You've got some name recognition, but it's not the same story or at all really related. <laughs> yeah. And if you don't want to call anyway. it after her, call it Slayer or something. Like, you know, they could they could do something. I would be down Why for, like... Why haven't you know, we been hired by TV executives yet? I mean... I think it's clear that we know what we're talking about, so... All right. We it's can't do much worse than whoever's currently running. <laughs> like, I saw something the other day. I don't remember. It must, be, it must have been ABC, like, has some new show about, like, a magician or something... <laughs> and I have no intention to watch this, but I, like, saw a description of the show or something, and I was like, mm-hmm. this is just Castle, but instead of a writer, it's a magician. Like, it's, they're not even <laughs> bothering to, like, hide the fact that, like, they're probably just, like, going in the basement and getting all the old scripts and, like, doing a find and replace on writer for magician or something. <laughs> they're going to end up with a dwicked in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because it's like, it's not even pretending to be like creative. Like, it's just so shamefully derivative. Like, I, yeah. you know, like, I think the Ugh. only thing that would have made it worse would have been like, you know, um, if it was set in the like Grey's Anatomy universe or something and like Shonda <laughs> Rhimes had like yet another thing. Because like, let's give this woman yet another show. Um, no, actually, I think she's kind of awesome for being a showrunner, but. I just think like, but there's an ever expanding right. It's just well, maybe just Grey's Anatomy. I don't know. Yeah, Um, Yeah. I think there is a Grey's spinoff actually. So (laughs) I feel like you're right. Also, that show's been on for like twelve seasons or Uh, something ridiculous. More than that, I think. Like, so like season two, I remember watching because they had the Super Bowl episode in college, and we were like sophomores, I think. No, we watch. Well, I don't know. We binge no, watched that just, the was, first, the first that or was, second season we binge watched when we were juniors because I remember which apartment yeah, we were in. Yeah, but I think it I think it started our freshman year. Um, uh, maybe. Yeah. I guess all I want to say is that that was one of the first shows that I ever binge watched. That was definitely when we still had to do it on actual DVDs. Somebody yeah. got I, okay, somebody look, a, I know a season I just, of it on DVD, and then we all so – that was like a Sunday morning when we got Dunkin' Donuts because that was what we always did. And then we were just like going to watch one episode, and like literally at 6 p.m. we were like, oh, look, <laughs> we did it, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, no. That timeline we, probably doesn't check out, but it was excessive, and we literally didn't leave our room the rest of the day. <laughs> I think we didn't leave for like two days, but um, uh, no, because I do – I like clearly remember that, and I know that I was a little bit scornful a minute ago about Grey's Anatomy, but I do think the first two seasons were incredibly binge-worthy. Yeah, and, totally. you know, until, like, it kind of went off the rails, as these things do. Um, but the whole point being, like, seasons, yeah. I don't think we could do much worse than, like, you know, just rewriting Castle with a magician. Yeah. <laughs> I have a great uh, idea for a show about a small town government worker, and I really think I could sell that to NBC. Do you, what do you think? No. Just kidding. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, let's get into some Buffy conversation, some actual episode episode conversation. Um, yeah. I don't know if I really want to Great. do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll okay, just talk so about Ginny, our vague memories of Grey's Anatomy <laughs> from a decade ago. <laughs> I do actually, this is completely continuing an unrelated conversation, but I do have fond memories of like, that year in college of, like, going to Dunkin' Donuts or, like, mm-hmm. for, like, two months there was, like, a little bakery across the street that we would go to sometimes. But like You're mixing up years again, but... Oh, no, wait, I'm not. You're factoring in a year when I didn't live with you. That always makes me sad. But I know what bakery you're talking about. We did go there together. Yeah, when you lived <sighs> in my room. Or not in my room, in my suite. 
I no no no. no yeah, no. this was junior yeah, it was year. Sophomore year not no 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 no. Nope nope. I'm not getting confused. Ugh, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. All right. Okay, I don't remember anything. Then I'm not going right. to go down memory lane because obviously your brain is <laughs> a little right. bit scrambled. <laughs> you might be right. I can't decide. I'm 100% right. But why don't you tell us what yeah. happened in this episode of Buffy? Okay. Do you remember so that much? New- <laughs> I sure hope so. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, a new man. This is an episode that I really liked. Um, I love this episode. You know, the episode kind of starts off with Buffy and Riley now are, like, explicitly dating and things seem to be going well. Um, Buffy gets um, called, summoned to go perform some sort of Slayer duties, but in fact it was just a surprise party for her birthday, uh, which was sweet. And Giles is there, even though it's, like, maybe in the maybe in the common room on their dorm. Unclear exactly where they're having this party. But anyway, basically Giles is there kind of as he has been all season, a little bit more in the background. And he, it's now becoming clear, you know, that he's really getting left out of a lot of things, maybe because he's not on campus all the time. And because the kid, you know, all of the Scoobies are kind of growing up a little bit and maybe don't need him as much, or at least it seems that way. So also, you know, Buffy, now knows about the initiative and now knows that Maggie Walsh, her psychology professor is running it. And so she also sort of has like a new mentor to look up to. So that's kind of the setting for this episode. Um, Giles meets professor Walsh and they do not get along. Uh, and he go, so, you know, he goes off to Buffy is like distracted with her birthday and with professor Walsh. And so Giles kind of goes to do a little slayer mission on his own because he doesn't like, can't be, you know, Buffy can't be bothered, at least, again, that's what he thinks. And instead he runs into our old friend and his old friend, Ethan Rain. Um, and instead of kind of getting into a fight, they end up just kind of going out for beers and, like, you know, complaining to each other about their own, you know, the things that have been going on in their lives. So Giles complains a lot about Professor, Professor Walsh. And Ethan complains about kind of this, like, un, the way all the demons in, locally have been feeling really unsettled. And that he's been hearing these whispers of 314, but he doesn't really seem to know exactly what it means. Anyway, so it seems like they're having kind of harmless fun. But of course, whenever Ethan is involved, something terrible goes on. So Giles goes home and the next day he wakes up, except instead of Giles, he's a fiaral demon and he can't speak in English. He's speaking in a totally different language and he's really scary and really strong. Um, So he tries to go get help from Xander, but he just scares him away until he's finally able to get a little bit of help from Spike. And, um, meanwhile, Buffy notices that he's missing and tries to figure out what's gone, what's happened to Giles. And at the end of the day, they run into each other. And at first she starts attacking him because she thinks he's the demon that killed Giles. But by the end, she recognizes his eyes and stops, stops herself from killing him sort of accidentally. She really meant to kill him. Anyway, we can talk more about that. Um, but by the end of the episode also, Buffy starts kind of confiding in Giles, I think, again, a little bit more and kind of. Is that right? At the end? That happened at the end of this episode? Uh, yeah, because. No. Like, oh. she completely forgot that to tell him about Riley being in the initiative. Right. Or that she was even dating Riley. Yeah, that too. Um, anyway, that was a pretty roundabout summary, as we do around here. And I was thinking of a different episode, I think, when she starts, um. T- telling Giles about the initiative. Um, um, oh, or was that this one? Well, at Jesus. the end, like he's telling her to be careful because right. like the demons are all really worried about something. Like that's what he heard from mm-hmm. Ethan. And mm-hmm. um, also that like, you know, they're dealing with the military and they don't really know everything about yeah. okay. what their, their, what like, their about. mission is. And then at the end, you know, you see Ms. Professor Walsh go into 314. Mm-hmm. A room in yeah. the initiative quarters. Um, cause it is interesting that Buffy totally just, I mean, like she said, she was at first keeping it a secret because Riley asked her to. And then when Mm -hmm. everyone else found out, she just kind of assumed she had told him. Right. Um, but considering that she and Giles, this was like their side mission to figure out what the commandos were up to. Like it's a pretty big, particularly kind of hurtful, (laughs) like mistake. And yeah, hurtful to Giles for her to not even mention like, Oh, solved it. Like, yeah. So I guess an interesting thing for me kind of right out the gate is that um, 
they have, I think, I, I wasn't thinking about this when we were talking about the earlier episode, like the last few episodes, but I do think they've kind of been planting the seeds of Giles's sort of slow brewing. I don't exactly want to call it resentment because I don't think he's quite that petty, but like Giles has been feeling estranged and I think it, there have been kind of little seedlings of it throughout the last couple of episodes, um, which I hadn't really been thinking about, but, um, you know, I don't know. Did you feel that at all? You know, I just feel like like he's starting to become aware of, like, Buffy wants him around to, like, you know, answer the hard questions and, like, um, host Thanksgiving and, you know, put up with Spike mm-hmm. and all this stuff. But, like, she's not returning the favor and, like, including Giles in right. um, the things that they're discovering every day. I mean, like, they're around this, like, initiative thing every day on campus, you know, little um, – problems pop up here and there I'm guessing but like you know and even her nightly patrols or whatever like she's probably not filling him in on all of that so yeah I mean it does make a difference yeah I think it's subtle like I don't know if I really even on this rewatch notice like oh Giles seems really pissed off but like I think the bigger thing for me is like I've been noticing this through line of like everybody feels kind of separated right right yeah you mentioned that before like, even in this episode, um, like, when Willow goes to Tara to practice magic, like, she just tells Buffy that she's practicing magic, but she doesn't mention right. that she, like, intentionally doesn't tell her that it's Tara, even when mm-hmm. they discover, like, some other magic thing was, like, interfering. But, like, I think mm-hmm. it's just a continuing thing of, like, Willow's off on her own doing this thing and not really, like, telling Buffy, like, why she's doing it yeah. or, like, you know. And, and she wasn't doing that to kind of figure out what was wrong with Giles. It was, like she just happened to figure out there was some kind of weird demonic energy or mystical energy because of that. But she like very clearly doesn't mention that she was with Tara. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. But I guess it is, I mean, what I sort of said, but didn't, I mean, this is obvious, but it is really, you know, they're not, they don't see him every day on campus now. So if they want to have a conversation kind of just checking in with Giles they still ha- they have to go off campus to his apartment so it does it does make sense that even without them you know they're not really trying to um but that they are kind of losing touch with him and I, I you know they don't really make a big deal about this but that is a pretty quintessential freshman year of college experience right where you like think you're going to be friends and in touch with everybody that you've ever known forever and it does become very difficult to maintain those relationships you know it is a lot of work to keep in touch with people, especially if they're no longer on your daily route. Well, it is. And I think we also see that happening with Xander to a lesser degree, naturally a lesser degree because, um, you know, Xander has a car, so he'll he'll come to them. But I'll, I mean, Giles has a mm-hmm. car too. But but the other thing being like, well, but it's not as weird for Xander. Well, to right, be on like they're gonna invite Xander to like the parties and stuff. Like right. they're not in, like they're not socializing with Giles as much the way they mm-hmm. used to. Whereas Xander, um, both I think now has Anya, but also um, mm-hmm. it's a little more natural for them to like still be hanging out with him. Whereas Giles, like you know, when he walks into Professor Walsh's office, she doesn't really say anything but she kind of has a look when he describes himself as Buffy's friend like she's kind of like who like you're her old librarian why are you here and it does come across if not creepy like a little sad that Giles is still kind of you know I think you're right it didn't really read as creepy to me either I mean partially just because we know Giles and it just has never seemed that way but it came across as (laughs) strange you know but it is strange yeah yeah and, and I think it was strange that, that he was, was at her birthday party to their point that they make in the episode is like, oh, no, of course, Professor Walsh is here. She's 40 and she has better things to do. And Giles is like, well. <laughs> yeah. And I think she 100 percent knew what she was doing when she was saying Buffy didn't have a strong father figure, because like I think she <sighs> summed up in like so two seconds mean. that that this is someone who considers himself Buffy's father figure. And like Giles didn't introduce himself as um, Buffy's watcher. Although that right. might have cleared it up a little bit, but um, well, he doesn't I, I, know that she knows about Buffy, though. I thought he did right? at that point. I don't think when Buffy told her about the initiative that she told maybe maybe. Oh Sorry. no, you're right. Because at that point, Walsh, he knows about the initiative, but he doesn't know that Professor Walsh is involved. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> but I think, but I think it's that you know she's seeing this person come in and asking about Buffy. And kind of weighing in on her academics and all this stuff. And she's asserting her own place in Buffy's yeah. scholastic career, if it were. But 
but she's doing it by insulting Giles's place. That's interesting because I'm not sure if I read it as intentional or not, though. Either way, it was very biting. That scene was, you know, wasn't hard to watch exactly, but it was like really uncomfortable because Giles does kind of step in it, but not not in a way that like anybody who is going to be polite wouldn't have let, let him get away with. I, f- I forget exactly what he said to kind of to kind of put her on guard, but it is clear after that. Yeah, I don't I don't know that she knew how much she was undercutting him by saying Buffy doesn't have a strong father figure, but she definitely is, as you said, trying to like establish kind of her own position, both in Buffy's life and I think just kind of in the world as like, oh, if you said something slightly disrespectful to me, then I'm going to completely shut you down. I mean, I do think this is the episode where, like, Buffy's certainly, you know, gushing about Professor Walsh to Giles, but I also think this is the episode where we're supposed to start suspecting her of something. Because Mm -hmm. she is mean to Giles in this way, and also at the end of the episode, obviously, like, she's going into room 314. Right. Um, well, and which, she's kind of a parallel to the, um, oh my God, what's her name? Faith's first, first watcher. Mm-hmm. What's her name? Gwendolyn Post. Gwendolyn Post. Thank you. Uh, and now what you're saying, I, I was kind of, I had already kind of put them together because of something that Alex said, not because I'm that smart. Um, and now that you're talking about it too, it makes even more sense. Really, you're you're totally right. I think that they are trying to kind of establish that, like, oh, this person who maybe isn't isn't behaving well when Buffy's not around, or you know, again, she's not. She's definitely not doing anything that's like crazy mean or bad, but it does kind of make her seem a, a little less mm, like a good guy. <laughs> It makes but her it, seem yeah, petty. It kind of reminds kind of reminds me of of Gwendolyn Post kind of doing the same thing where it's like, oh, maybe she's just really stern and really disciplined, but it also seems like maybe you're right that they're trying to tip us off that like something's not quite right. I feel um, a little annoyed about it though now that we put it in those terms that like maybe also a woman could just be severe and serious and it wouldn't have to be like an indication that she's evil. <laughs> you know, not that they're necess- she's necessarily evil, but yeah, I think, and and you know, I think the way they go with the Professor Walsh storyline is I don't know if she's ever necessarily truly portrayed as evil, but she Mm-mm. definitely has motives that are different from, yeah. like, Buffy from and Giles and everyone yeah. else's, but also she, to continue, like, she's, she's sort of, like, doing the mission at all costs, and mm-hmm. she has also, you know, as we'll see, she's kind of settles on Riley as, like, the linchpin in her mission or whatever. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, she'll protect it at all costs and whatever that means doing to Riley as well. But, um, we're not quite there yet, but, but I wouldn't say that they ever truly paint her as evil. Mm, Um, but she's not like a good guy. I do feel like, yeah, I mean, she's decidedly not good by the end of this season. Yeah. And it doesn't really bother me that it's like they take this strong female figure and do that with her because I do feel like it is no, impressive I, that I, it's not some random general coming in and running the show. It's like, you know. It only bothered me when I was drawing parallels between her and Gwendolyn Post and thinking, oh, maybe every time they have a character like this it's because, oops, side note, she's actually bad. Not if, not because of the one one single instance, but only because now I'm seeing like, oh, it's kind of, they're kind of similarly portrayed. Um. Yeah, anyway, I mean, the last time anybody just, got really gushy about a teacher, it was the praying mantis, so. <laughs> um, but interestingly, too, I think we don't, I, I mean, I hesitate to say that, like, I wish there were so much more Giles in this show because, you know, really is a show about, like, being younger and adolescence and young adulthood, and I don't think that it would serve the show much to really focus on Giles, but I do, you know, kind of like in Hush where we were, like, I appreciated getting a glimpse into his romantic life. And in this one, I, I did kind of appreciate getting to see his struggles a little bit. You know, it's not as though being an adult means that all of your problems go away and you know how to deal with everything, especially hurtful, you know, kind of emotional situations where it's like, he does feel left behind. And like, it sounds stupid if you're like, oh, all my, all my college age students don't want to hang out with me anymore. But it does make sense that, like, he does see himself as a father figure to all of them, but especially Buffy. And so to kind of have her not maybe seem like she doesn't value his opinion is, I, I mean, I obviously, under, I think everybody would understand why, he, why his feelings are hurt. But anyway, I guess I'm just saying I also, I like spending a little bit of that time thinking about Giles once in a while. I mean, I don't think that they ever push it too much, and I think that that's for the best, but I like getting these little moments about it. No, especially because I think, you know, 
we watched this episode where Buffy's, you know, having Thanksgiving at Giles's house and, you know, Giles is like interacting with them in his capacity as former watcher now and all this stuff. But like we, aside from Olivia, we never see Giles with friends. Like he's Mm -hmm. only hanging out with this group of like 18 year olds. And um, now that they're all out of high school, it's a little bit strange that he doesn't have like more of a broad social circle but but it's also not because like you know as he's telling Ethan like he's been fighting demons for 20 years and I can imagine like that's not exactly conducive to a social life and um so now that he has a secret identity yeah right he does a secret identity just as much as Buffy does right and I think though now though that she's chosen to sort of strike out on her own away from the Watcher's Council, mm-hmm. it does he leave him a little bit in the wind because he has now neither, like, the professional reason to be around right. nor does he have, like, a social network to fall back on. Yeah, um, yeah. I and feel, so I, I think it's him. good to, like, sort of explore that with Giles. Like, I, I really do love this episode for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, um, I, I want to say, like, I, like, noticed it too, like... I love watching um, Anthony Stewart head like just yeah that's give true. a good like he's really just give delightful. a good acting performance like he's yeah. so like in that scene where he and Ethan are getting drunk in the pub yes. like oh my god it was it's so just fun. great like it's, yeah. they're both great obviously but like I just love all their interactions and like I mean I think the other thing this this episode continues the trend of like being really funny like we've had mm-hmm. this string of really funny For episodes sure. and I think this one definitely continues that but like. I think so much about Giles' like drunken rantings about like Professor <laughs> Walsh and like, you know, he's he's jealous of the initiative too because like, you know, they've been around for like a short period of time and All they're the sort demons of like are scared of them already. Yeah, they're like they're sort yeah. of doing such a good job that they're like disrupting the ecosystem and like mm-hmm. all this stuff. And Giles mm-hmm. is like, you know, been doing it for twenty years and they never even noticed me. <laughs> it's like yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. their scale is so much larger, although which is interesting too that they're really getting the demons all scared because then when you have like Riley and Buffy compare their stats and Riley's supposed to be like the star performer and like he's only right. taken down 17 hostels like they right. they can't really be doing that much damage if like you multiply that out but uh, but maybe but if you multiply that out again, by like we don't know Buffy's how many soldiers they have yeah yeah and Buffy's point that she's been doing it since she's 15 that's part of why her count was so high True, but I mean, you know, I, I just kind of like... only maybe been doing this for a year, maybe. I don't know. Right, well, and I just kind of corrected myself. Like, if their scale is truly that large where they can, like, mm-hmm. you know, infiltrate local government and he has a master key to the town and, like, all this stuff, like... Right, it's right. It's clearly making a difference. Who knows, um, yeah. But I think this also goes to what we were talking about last time where, you know, their methods are more about taking down mm-hmm. what they view as, like, an animal infestation essentially whereas Mm -hmm. they're not really thinking through the implications i mean like obviously the goal would be like eradicate all evil from the world but like they're not really thinking through the implications of what they're doing like ethan's implying that the ripple effects of this are encroaching on other worlds as well Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. and so it is interesting like they're almost doing such a good job that this delicate balance that they have between good and evil is getting thrown seriously out of whack yeah so, I mean, we should circle back to Ethan at a, at a point. And I, oh, we 100% should. Kind of and his a, little monologue. <laughs> his little monologue. That was such a funny scene. I mean, exactly like you were talking about. I, I definitely laughed a lot during this episode. Yeah, this whole, like, Ethan's hiding behind in the crypt after Giles walks out giving a very dr- dramatic, unnecessary monologue about how he's finally got them where he wants them or whatever. And then Giles, like, comes back because he forgot something and totally catches him. Like, he definitely would have gotten away with it if he would have just not been a cartoon villain but it is fun to kind of see those things play out you know yeah Ugh, Ethan. but Why i also he really in enjoyed... the crypt was he is the implication really that he know. was there because that <laughs> demon prince was rising or something i you know i don't know it's a good question they never really answer that why is ethan there Taunt like, did he <laughs> did he intentionally come to like mess up Giles's life, or did it just like he just ran across him and was like, "Oh, this will be fun." You know, that's okay. What would make sense to me is if he was there to help this person rise, this demon rise, and then because he got caught by Giles, then they kind of ended up out, and then he just can't help himself but to cause some sort of mischief. Yeah, that's that was. I my don't assumption. feel like I don't know that his intention when he and Giles started drinking was to pull this fast one on Giles and turn him into a demon. I mean, it might've been, but probably not. 
He seems I mean, like he, he fully was going to let Buffy kill like Giles. That. So, yeah. But I don't know that that's why he came to town. I'm saying. Yeah, I don't know because like his little monologue also like yeah kind of seems to imply that was his intention, but. Huh. Well, well, I mean, maybe we'll he thought t- the demon prince was going to kill Giles, and instead he had to come up with a different plan. Maybe. I mean, I'm I'm not going to quibble too much. I'll just take the gift yeah. of Ethan, and and I I think this is the last time we we meet Ethan. It is, I think. Yeah. Also. Um, yeah. But the other thing that I like, especially now that we're talking about it, is so I mean, the scene with with Ethan and Giles getting drunk was obviously very funny, and you know, Giles starts revealing a lot of kind of his like current insecurities or whatever, but it. I like the idea that they could easily fall back into some sort of um, temporary friendship because I also yeah. think that that's pretty realistic where obviously they've drifted apart for very good reasons. And there is a, yeah, exactly. Like Giles shouldn't be associating with him and he knows that, but at the same time, like, you know, as much as like we're talking about, like one of the reasons that Giles is so isolated is because he can't talk to, he can't just go out and make friends because then he's going to have to make a million excuses or whatever. And it's like, since his now, the only kind of social network that he had, which was a bunch of 18 year olds, like aren't really around anymore. You know, it makes sense to me that he would still find some solace in talking to Ethan, somebody who he not only shared so much actual history, personal history with, but is one of the only people that he knows he can speak openly with about these things. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure Giles is lonely, you know? And like, at least for a night, he's got friendship. It might be Ethan, but like, hey, beggars can't be choosers. So like, you know, just hang out with who's there. But again, like so. there, yeah, but there is also something about like, sometimes when you run into people that you had a shared history with like that, it's like, you forget that you were ever apart, you know? I mean, yeah. it doesn't always work that way, but sometimes it does. Even if you ultimately land on, oh, that's right. We're not friends anymore because you also think it's fun to turn me into a demon and try and get people to kill me. <laughs> like, um, but you can easily kind of forget about that in the moment. I guess, uh, yeah, I don't really know what else I have to say about Ethan. I'm, I'm curious where exactly they end up taking him. I, you know, because we, we know from having watched the whole series that whatever does or doesn't happen with the initiative in this season, that there, it, there's always a background. It doesn't really come up a lot, but the like government demon hunting continues to kind of be a thing in the show. Uh, they allude to it. It doesn't happen in the show much. Yeah, I like to think that the initiative was born out of whatever program where they're training um, Clea Duvall to be like an invisible assassin. Right, you know? right, 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 right. Hmm. So like they're, the, the references definitely continue. I, I'm guessing like with Ethan, it's more like they're just going to like deport him, you know. Deport like, him? They're not, because oh, he's okay. not himself anything particularly um, – Special, like he he's dabbling in mm-hmm. magic, but he's not like, you know. We'll see later what they do when they encounter other creatures. But like Ethan's human, yeah. so there's not really yeah. that much that they would. So you have think they probably set him free after yeah. like holding him for a month or something? Yeah, I mean, we do see in this one like starting to really see more of the converging missions between the Initiative and um, Buffy. Like she's out to try to find Giles. Mm-hmm. And, you know, take down this demon at any cost if she can. But, like, you know, Riley's fully ready to try to stop her because, you know, he's got different orders from Professor Walsh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, which is kind of silly. They yet they, they, they don't yet know, like, you're not going to, like, interfere with Buffy's mission. Like, she's way right. stronger than you even suspect. But um, I mean, I did kind of enjoy that interaction, too though between Riley and Buffy where he was kind of like I can't take you with you me on this mission and she was like have fun trying to stop me you know yeah like, well and I, also like, like I guess the idea that like oh haha it's so funny that you think this is your mission like this right, is my right. thing then, that you're tagging along exactly. to help me with it's not your mission and as much as I I I guess I what I I don't feel like Riley was being unfair or like I like I understand why he would say that because he only has known about her for you know, a week or so. And I can understand how to him, it still feels very like this military centric thing that she's now becoming a part of instead of, he still doesn't really get that she's way more a part of it than he ever has been. So I, but or I ever that was will kind of, be that, like, yeah, I like that. That was interesting. They, they do what still have say? this idea of Buffy being this like myth thing that they find mm-hmm. out about that. Oh, well, won't that be fun if you can like help us with our missions and like, you yeah. know, provide we'll provide you like some backup support or whatever but they don't really know 
what they're right. dealing with. Because Which, but again, why would they? Yeah. Because this whole time they've proved that like they have no interest in understanding what it actually exactly. is that they're dealing with. Like exactly. a, a beyond exactly. like an That's uh, why um, they're not beyond like an autopsy perspective, right? Like they, they're ready mm-hmm. to dissect all these demons, but they don't want to actually understand why it is that they're attacking people or where they're from mm-hmm. and all of that. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. I, I, and that, yeah, that was exactly what I was going to say is that it is very much in line with how they've treated everything. Like you're saying, this is like a pest control problem for them. So like, yeah, I guess if she's got some like extra powerful boots, they could like use it to stamp out some rats, but like she, they don't care enough to understand how she fits into this greater story. And it's to their detriment. You know, they really should take that time to figure out what's going on since it's clear that they don't understand a lot about the things that they're dealing with. So some of the other, okay, yeah. Some of the other characters kind of going lingering around in this background. I didn't mention this at all, but, you know, Spike now has discovered that he can fight demons. And so now that he's feeling more like himself, he's ready to move out of Xander's basin. <laughs> um, uh, I, I love of, the scene of him measuring a crypt with um, yes. a measuring tape. <laughs> and I also love when he's moving out of Xander's apartment that like, okay, so like the whole joke kind of is that he keeps trying to take Xander's things and Xander's like, you can't do this. And then like, but like Anya is sitting there. I don't know. The two of them just kind of joking about Xander's like crappy basement was just really funny to me. I guess just because they're both, you know, he and Anya have a lot in common, at, like personality wise. And so it's always just funny to kind of see them both accidentally ganging up on Xander. Well, and I but love yeah, like the whole measuring. dynamic when Giles has no choice but to go to Spike for help that yes. Spike is neutered essentially, but he's still evil. Like he mm-hmm. is not at all willing to help Giles until Giles pays him. Right. And he totals Giles's car. Like Giles is now out like what, like $300 and his car. And car like yeah. <laughs> Um <sighs> But, you know, he's the only one that can communicate with Giles because he speaks Mm -hmm. this demon language, which honestly, to me, is a little bit strange where I guess Spike, maybe it's that he's not speaking it, but he can understand it because... I think he was speaking in English back to Giles. Yeah, because it is a little bit weird, the implication that even if Giles knows English, he can't speak it, like... Language isn't really... Yeah, that's not really how language works, That's not really how it works, but, really how it works, but what, that was the one thing I was like, fine, I'll, I'll go with it. Because I did yeah. absolutely love the scene of Demon Giles trying to wake Xander up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was really funny. Like, Xander, um, Xander. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that, like, I can't believe we skipped over this when we were talking about Giles and Professor Walsh butting heads, but that whole... This oh. whole is worth it for Giles getting out of the car chasing her down the street while he's a demon just to like have some fun <laughs> I guess that made it I guess it was nice then that they made her so mean to him in the beginning of the episode because I didn't have to feel guilty about that scene at all it was just funny <laughs> also because he like you know raises his hands up and like chases yeah, after her like, 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 exactly. like a he's monster doing it like a child would do it yeah, yeah. Um, I also love the scene of him when he first wakes up and he doesn't yet know how strong he is and he's yes. like just ripping apart his apartment. Yes. And it was such a great like parallel to Buffy like tearing apart the dining hall. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's, Like yeah, breaking yeah, the yeah. yogurt machine and all that stuff and Giles is trying to like pick up his phone and he just like smashes it. Smashes and, like, it. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you know, and by the end of this, Buffy kind of realizes she has sort of been unintentionally leaving Giles out a little mm-hmm. bit more and they do have a nice conversation about um, what what they should do going forward with the initiative. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we see Buffy and Riley, despite the conflicts of their missions, like they, they are getting closer, um, spending more time together, sparring. Buffy's really letting Riley see mostly how strong oh, yeah. she is. Yeah, um, I didn't mention that at all. Yeah, but, I, you know, we see Buffy kind of like happy in a new relationship and yeah um, and I think Riley takes everything pretty in you know in stride a lot considering yeah. I think how much he's really getting a lot of new information very quickly and a lot of it is very kind of jarring I think he handles it about like pretty well yeah right yeah I like I'm sympathetic so. to his position but we are sowing seeds for what's to come and I think yeah. this season you know I think in the 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 larger whole of the series this season doesn't always get a lot of love but one thing I'm noticing on this rewatch is I actually really think structurally they really knew what they wanted to do with this like you know Mm. you know everybody's kind of like 
slowly in the background, like, you can kind of see, um, like, the gangs kind of split up a little bit more, like, off on their own, like, threads and adventures. Um, and we see, you know, characters coming into play, like, the initiative and the way they kind of did a slow burn mm-hmm. of introducing Riley um, and didn't really immediately introduce him as a love interest. And now I we're think- seeing um, Tara drop in and kind of yeah. start and, and, you know, even without the mention yet of, like, where that relationship with Willow is going to go, we mm-hmm. do start to see, like, it's a little bit different in that, like, Willow's not sharing everything about it with her friends mm-hmm. and keeping it kind of separate. Yeah. And um, and then, like, you know, the initiative has always kind of been in the background as, like, what is it? Like, and then, okay, this is going to be, like, the big thing for the season. But, like, as always, like, are they good? Are they bad? But right now the answer's a little bit up in the air but you're starting to see the seeds of like maybe it's not quite as okay as like the show wants you to think you know and I think to some extent you're right and I think what I'm softening with on this on this season because it's not my favorite season I I don't hate it by any means but but I've got some problems um that we'll get to you know as we get further down the line I think what uh, sort of what you're saying, but my takeaway is the things that I've seen them do really well are kind of, again, like a lot of the character moments. I think what you're saying, they have been pretty, you know, I think the first couple of episodes were a little bit shaky, but now that we're kind of into it, like, I I feel like, like, I like this delve into Giles and I like the delves that we've had into Buffy and Riley's relationship. And I like the delves we've had into Willow's relationship and like all of those isolated incidents, I think have been really fun to watch or really interesting to watch. And then these episodes again, like especially the last couple have just been so, so funny. Like, so it's getting into a really nice sweet spot. I, I still feel like the, the overall arc of this season isn't gonna, I think that's the, the flaw, right? Is this like, they, and to be fair, like you're right. Like they had to really put them in this new environment and get a lot done um, and still have it make sense. But I think it's, it's still never going to be a favorite for me because of that. But, but there is a lot that they're doing right that I forget about. No, I I agree. Like, I think when I'm complimenting the structure and everything, it's from a character perspective of yeah. the way these events kind of unfold. But I think the thing that this season struggles with is it's really well put together, but, like, it's just not that compelling, even in the end. Yeah, like, yeah, You know, yeah. like, the character <laughs> exactly. moments are great, like, but, like, the villain is sort of, like, you know, you spend so long wondering who the villain is supposed to be, and by the time you figure it out, okay, maybe it's not actually who you right, thought it's going right. to be, and it's just, like, I feel like there's a lot more twists and turns, and... And they're the just end, kind of for the sake of them, not... They don't end yeah, up Yeah, and in much. the end, yeah. none of them are really that compelling. Like, honestly, until I was just speaking this very sentence, I, I kind of actually yeah. forgot <laughs> who the villain turned out to be at the end uh-huh. of this, so... Um, it is a little bit lacking in that perspective. Like, if I had to rank, like, big bads, this would probably rank, like, number six. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, nobody's worse than the master, but... Um, yeah, especially... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But... You know, it's it's just not... I don't think the villain of this season is that compelling, but I think they did a really good job of, like, um, showing what happens when you're trying to grow up and, like, yeah. when you get put yeah. in new environments. And and, and I'm, I'm really noticing that this time around, and I really yeah, like no, it. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And I think we've made a lot of notes to that effect about... Yeah, I mean, specifically about every time we've talked about Riley up until this point, where it's like, man, they really did a great job of introducing him and introducing him slowly in a way that made it feel very natural. Which I think is why I'm so, like, on the Riley train right now. I know. Like, I'm just, like, <laughs> I don't remember liking him this much, but, like, I really get, like, they did a good job. Like, this is great. Um, yeah. Yeah, so excited mm. excited for the next few episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, should we talk about Angel? <sighs> we should. Yeah. Um, speaking of more compelling big bads. Um, and was I'm there a compelling Angel, big bad in this episode? No. No, but oh, okay. Angel was. Oh, 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 okay. Yes, I follow you. Sorry. <laughs> no, the big bad in this episode is like yawn. Um, yeah. So we're now um, fully into this like trio of Buffy, not Buffy, oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> Angel, Wesley, and Cordelia, although mm-hmm. um, we do kind of see at the beginning of this episode like Wesley's still a little unsure of like whether he's truly on the team or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but we start the episode like Cordelia's getting ready to go out for a night with some of her friends. Um, and she has a vision about um, this like 
demon hatching or something. And, um, but she's not going to let it interfere with her night out. So she goes out with her friends and Wesley and Angel go off to fight this evil thing. Um, Mm -hmm. but, and, and that's really only important because it's like, you know, Angel's kind of like, you coming? Like Wesley's on the team now. So, um, (laughs) He's prepared to fight evil. He shows up with all his weapons. He's good to go. Um, but Cordelia goes out to a club with um, her friends, and they meet up with these guys, and it's kind of um, clear that Cordelia's kind of been dating this guy for at least, you know, a couple dates. Um, they mm-hmm. have a really nice night. She invites him in, and um, the next morning she wakes up, and she's, like, full-term pregnant. So... <laughs> um, she doesn't show up for work, so Angel and Wesley are worried about her, and they come to check on her, and they find Cordelia kind of, like, just in shock and, you know, just in despair over what has happened to her. Um, she tells them what happened. Like, they just went out. They had a good time. Like, she says everything was really safe. Um, mm-hmm. It was all seemed really normal. And yet she woke up, you know, like, eight and a half months pregnant or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Cordelia is basically down for the count. Like she's, you know, massively pregnant and also terrified. So Wesley takes her to go get um, like a sonogram to figure out what the hell is going on inside her stomach. And they find like it's acidic amniotic fluid and like basically seven little demon babies in there. Demon spawn. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Meanwhile, Angel goes to kind of track down her date and find out what the hell happened. And he finds... um, her friend who is also like eight and a half months pregnant Mm -hmm. and then finds the guys and turns out they're all like serving this demon to present or like to, to deliver women to him to have his babies in response in return for like fame and fortune and you know, all whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, angel figures out where they've been kind of building this shrine to this demon. So, um, Wesley also figures out what kind of demon it is, and it's a big, nasty one. Um, And so the implication being that, like, if Cordelia is to give birth, she will most definitely die, and so will Mm -hmm. all these other women. But they also figure out that the the whole pregnancy is through, like, a psychic link. So if they can kill the demon, then the babies should, poof, disappear. Um, Don't even ask me how that's possible. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so Cordelia knocks Wesley out because she's, got this telepathic call to go to this, like, chemical treatment plant or wherever there, um, this demon shrine is. So she meets up with all the other um, demon baby mamas, and they do, like, a little, um, I don't know, chemical spa day or whatever. Like, they basically, like, put on white <laughs> gowns and get into this, like, hot tub of goo or whatever. Um, and Angel and Wesley show up, and Angel kills the demon or – partially killed like he freezes the demon with nitrogen and then cordelia essentially kills him um mm-hmm. but they end the pregnancies and um everybody's safe and happy and okay <laughs> um but that is a big demon it was it was you big. know yeah he was That's like a few stories tall nitrogen. maybe yeah. yeah um maybe not quite that big but pretty big yeah um but i would say like i think for me like this episode like it's kind of silly, right? Like, it's Cordelia the, uh, has <laughs> demon baby. Yeah. Like, it's, you know, it's not the best. But I do think that, like, where I really like this episode is they do a really good job at first of kind of downplaying the comedy aspect of where mm. this could go. Like, oh, my goodness, I'm pregnant. And going with more of, like, the emotional shock of, like, Cordelia of, like, you know, she thinks yeah. she's being punished, like, um, yeah. for being mean in high school and, like, you know, you could also read it if they were to go that way of like, you know, oh my gosh, you had sex, therefore you're pregnant. You know, like some kind of parable about the dangers of having sex. Um, which is not which a is, thing that Buffy hasn't already done. You know, this kind no, of familiar but thankfully that's not really what this is. Like, you know, they they're very clearly telling her like she didn't do anything wrong. She's not being yeah. punished. It's just, you know, she got she fell into the trap of these guys who were, you know, not as good as they seemed. I'm sort of on the fence. I I I feel like I was with this episode until they, I mean, and not with it completely. Cause it is, it is pretty, it is pretty, pretty weird. Um, the part where, you know, where Cordelia started getting kind of messages from the babies and then started like attacking Wesley and like kind of being in a trance and kind of being like really overprotective. I feel like they edged on some weird stereotypes kind of once they got into that territory. And I think it was a lot better when it was 
kind of, as you said, kind of just playing it more straight. And I think more importantly, focusing on the relationships between the three of them. So I found that stuff to be very endearing and very nice to kind of watch the way that Angel and Wesley handled this situation and the way that they like both reassured her, but also figured out what was going on. Like, I don't know. I feel like there was a lot that there that was like, oh, it's so nice to see them all gelling and being supportive in this way and that they never questioned anything that she said. And that, you know, like that kind of stuff I really like. But I don't know, something about the like psychic link with the babies and her kind of going over the top, I thought, I was like, I don't know. I think if I think about this too hard, I'm going to hate all the implications of it. So once they got out of that, I think there was a lot to kind of enjoy, but that part I didn't like. Yeah, I would agree with that. And as much as, like, yes, it's clear in the episode that she's not being punished for having sex, it's really hard not to read it that way, at least a little bit, where it's like, can somebody just have a a regular healthy sex life for, like, one episode? (laughs) You know, somebody in this universe? Not on Angel. But, yeah, yeah, maybe not on Angel. Did you So did you think that the demon at the end when he's, like, wandering out of the cave or wherever, I got a very, like... Who dares disturb my slumber <laughs> vibe from him, you know? Like, yeah, he was like, pretty ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, he, I he guess was. I, I like think that's the other problem. It's like he, he almost looked tones. like he was some kind of like reject claymation thing from like, you know, um, yeah. Clash of the Titans or something. Yeah, yeah, totally. And then, yeah, and I guess you're right. Now that you're pointing that out, that it, again, it's just like there were just too many tones and styles that I think they tried to accomplish in one you know 40 minute episode where it's like they're taking it seriously and it's really horrific and it's really traumatic but then it's really silly because he's just this big stupid demon (laughs) like I don't know which one is it (laughs) um and I I agree that I thought that Cordelia's um Cordelia's reactions were very I mean I want to say like they were good because they were sad but I I do always like kind of like I was saying with Giles like I I like when we get to kind of have these different glimpses of Cordelia. Um, What I definitely thought right off the bat, so like you were saying, the way that this episode opens is Cordelia is trying to, is getting ready for a night out with her friends, like to just go out to some clubs or go to dinner or whatever. Um, And while they're all, they're waiting for her to finish getting ready, she has a vision and like Doyle and I'm sorry, Doyle. Why do I say that? Oh, Wesley and Angel sort of help distract her friends so that she can, cause she's get, you know, she gets these huge migraines or whatever. So like they help kind of hide what's going on with Cordelia from her friends. But I thought it was a very interesting, like Buffy having her own, I'm sorry, Cordelia having her own Buffy moment where she's now the one, or she's now a one who has to try and have a normal life, but also manage the superpower. <laughs> I was like, Oh, Cordelia's finally like in Buffy's shoes where she's having to, you know, she, I feel like the beginning of this episode was very much like, how does she have a normal life now? Yeah, and she's certainly definitely still in that stage where she thinks she can. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Yeah, she hasn't she's had, gonna, had it long enough to accept that she right, can't. Right, <laughs> and she's going to do it at all costs. But, no, I really loved everything about that scene. Like, you know, Cordelia's, like, drops to the floor, and they don't even, like, move to help her. It's more about, like, obscuring what's happening from her friends. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I thought that scene and, was and really their, well done. To, yeah, and to their credit, they know that that's what's important to her. It's not like... They sh- you know, she's, she wouldn't want them to give it away. Right, exactly. It's not um, help me off the floor. It's just make sure they don't see this. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, even in that scene too, right, like there's some like kind of funny and awkwardly flirtatious conversation between Wesley and like Cordelia's friends, which I, I mean, I really don't know how old Wesley is. I'm not going to get into that part of it. But I, I don't know. It was just... I. I know I've said this a hundred times already, but like Angel and Wesley palling around and then like Angel and Wesley making sure that Cordelia's okay. And like all of that stuff, it just feels so much better. Like I just want to see Angel and Wesley be friends. I like, I really like that Angel isn't like, he's not exactly protective over Wesley, but I feel like he is clearly kind of his older brother. Who's going to, who's like showing him the ropes and like, it's just so much more fruitful than whatever he was doing with Doyle, which was like occasionally trying to wrench information out of him. Yeah, and I feel like in his own angel way, he's, like, rolling out the red carpet for Wesley, right? He like really is, yeah. You know, like, he's like, of course you're coming. Like, what you know, because, like, angel, like, at the beginning, Wesley kind of shows up, like, I heard there might be some evil happening or something. Like, he's just clearly like, hey, mm-hmm. anybody need any help with anything? I'm still here. Like, he hasn't, like, officially become part of the team. Like, mm-hmm. he's waiting probably for, like, a, an official invitation. An invitation, whereas, like, yeah. Yeah, I think in Angel's mind, he's like, okay, Wesley's here. He's going to help us out. 
Um, but Angel's like not at all saying, no, it's too dangerous. You can't come. Like you're not yeah. doing this. He's like, yeah. yeah, you're coming. Like bring your axe out of the wall or whatever. And, um, well, you know, and, and they go and fight the slimy babies or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and and that Angel's helping them. Like it's not, it's not a similar thing where like, you know, in that episode where Angel, they he like finds the demon sacks or whatever. And then Doyle and Cordelia are the ones who are like getting slimy. Cleaning it up. Yeah. Um, cleaning it up. Like he and Wesley are actively working together in a way that I don't, I don't know if like he did with Doyle. I don't think he did. You know, the other thing that's really interesting is, you know, especially in the earlier episodes, or I think for all of Angel, a thing that they're always trying to kind of point out is that like Angel, you know, one of the reasons why Cordelia as a character is around is because she needs to be there to kind of help Angel let down his walls a little bit. Um, And again, right, like they're always talking about how like how distant and how closed off Angel is and what are these ways that we're going to be able to open him up and blah, 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 blah. So it's interesting that now that Wesley's there, I think because his because Wesley's energy is so different from from Doyle or from whoever else was there that like Angel it kind of accidentally, uh, like emotionally forces Angel to be the one to make the first move. You know, like Angel is so good at being broody, but I think now that he, I think he can't, he can't help himself, but to want to help Wesley. And it's somehow like, it's accomplishing what they really, what nobody has been able to really do with Angel so far. I guess that's part of what also makes it charming is it's like, as much as Angel's helping Wesley, Wesley's also really providing a, a counterpoint for him to be able to like open up without fear. (laughs) I guess yeah, because Wesley's so like so non-threatening, like in, on any yeah. way of it, you know, in any way you well, look at I it, think, Wesley's not going to hurt him. I mean, the other thing too is like Doyle showed up, like I'm going to help you, but he kind of did it with a chip on his shoulder in a way that maybe yeah. didn't invite them becoming like really good friends. Where I think the energy, I mean, we've seen with Buffy with Cordelia, like Angel seems drawn to people that are kind of like lighter, right? Mm-hmm, like. Mm-hmm more lighthearted, a little more bubbly. Bubble, like, bubbly, yeah. Yeah, but, and Wesley certainly sort of with his kind of like bumbling comedy kind of fits yeah, that mold yeah, a little bit. And I think yeah. Angel's a little bit drawn to that and maybe it's because like he's so dark, he doesn't need like friends that are super dark. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think over the course of the show, he and Wesley really do develop like a friendship and mm-hmm. that's part of what makes Wesley's arc so heartbreaking to me. Yes. Um, but, you know we do see Angel kind of in his own Angel way. Like he's opening up a little bit and allowing Wesley in, which is, I think, but he's striking like te- yeah. considering he just lost, lost Doyle. But I also think it's also sort of the demands of the show, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, all that to say, adding Wesley so far three episodes in is still a good decision. <laughs> I still love it. Um, I don't think there's going to be an episode where I'm like, you know, I'm just not sure I'm on board with this. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, board. I guess I, I guess the other thing that I, I guess I just only talk about Wesley now because I only have things to say about Wesley. That's fine. Like I, said, I mean, the rest of this episode was was fine. I think they made some interesting points with Cordelia, but I think they also made some silly points with Cordelia. So like the stuff that really resonated with me was the way, like I said, the way that Angel and Wesley interacted with one another also the way that Angel and Wesley interacted with Cordelia, you know, that they cared enough to not like, this is obviously a low bar, but it's still, I think meaningful that like, they're not just coworkers, they're friends. So when she doesn't show up for work, like they're both there. And as soon as she has a problem, they're like non-judgmental about it and are helpful and supportive. Um, but the other thing that happened by at the end of the episode is so, you know, we were talking about how kind of silly this demon is at the end that they face off with and that he's like particularly huge and particularly gigantic. But the other thing that I noticed is that, you know, part of Angel's plan is for basically Wesley to kind of be at the decoy to distract him. But Wesley has to run up there to him. (laughs) You know, like Wesley, you know, last two episodes ago was kind of tripping over himself to catch this like kind of -of run-of-the-mill demon. And now he's like literally going face-to-face with a demon that's at least three times as big as he is. And, and like, if something went wrong, you know, he was totally in danger. So I guess I'm just, I, I appreciated that. I think already Wesley is kind of showing some guts, even if he's not the most useful in terms of like physical combat, he's still totally willing to do it. Or, he's totally or for the first Xander. time, totally like willing to do it. You know, at the end yeah. of season, at season, at the end of season three of Buffy, he gets knocked out barely by a, 
not even a vampire. Like, I forget what happens to him, right? But he like, gets knocked out in the first, fight, first second of the fight. So it's he does, but I he's also to kind of- willing to go into that fight. And I think this is kind of like we're seeing like he's sort of the Xander of the show where he maybe doesn't bring a whole lot at this point mm-hmm. combat wise, but he's definitely going to participate. And but it's also not true, like that he doesn't contribute anything like the entire plan hinges on him being able to be a good shot. And um, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And, and to do it coolly under pressure with this demon, like an angel, like throws up that nitrogen canister and he like just hits it with the you mm-hmm. know the bullet while under yeah. pressure, like all of this, like, and he's fine. Like, yeah, I think he's proving well, himself completely capable. Yeah. And you're totally right to describe it. Not cool in the sense of like, <laughs> Hey buddy, you're so cool, but cool in the terms of like being able to handle himself. Yeah. In this really stressful situation. He's calm but and I collected. Even, <laughs> I, but I, but I think that that is already a, a change kind of from where he was when he yeah. left Buffy. Like he wasn't that cool then he, he was not, he might have been willing to go into the fight, but he wasn't willing to swing, throw a punch. Whereas now he seems to have kind of made a, a, gotten a, a little bit further. Well, also, I mean, like, imagine, like, on Buffy, no one wanted him there. And so, yeah, like, yeah, now he's in a yeah. place where, like, people oh, sort of actively <laughs> seem to want him around. And, like, why wouldn't he try a little bit harder? Yeah, that's a great point. Oh, <laughs> poor Wesley. Oh, he just needs some love and support. A little bit yeah. of encouragement. Hmm. Okay. Well, you know, the other thing that's kind of interesting watching these two episodes together is you, and you mentioned this before, but it is, yeah, just more kind of depictions of the fallout of, of Buffy choosing to leave the council is that we kind of ha- I mean, this episode was sort of Cordelia centric, but I also feel like it was Wesley centric. So or is it just because I'm obsessed with Wesley that it become everything becomes Wesley centric? Either way. No, I think, I, like, I mean, the last few episodes have theoretically been kind of about Cordelia and in the wake of Doyle, but also it's about Wesley joining the team. And so I think, yeah, I think that's not a wrong or like an interesting, like our selfish read of it because you're like really Wesley. I think it it is also about Wesley as well. And like, I think it's a a little bit more subtle in this one, but I think it is about showing his integration into the team, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, and that Cordelia trusts him enough to have him like take her to the doctor and yeah. you know, they're pretending to be yeah. a married couple and like yeah. all this stuff. So, you know, and it's not, it doesn't come across as that weird. Like she trusts that he's there to help her, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, and at the very end of the episode, she had that touching speech talking about like feeling like she didn't have anyone that cared about her. And now she knows that she has two. And again, I mean, it's like kind of a quick jump to make with Wesley, but I totally bought it. Like I didn't at all think like, mm, that doesn't sound right. I was like, yeah, but you I know why Wesley it's not too. a quick, <laughs> you know why to me it's not a quick jump is because they do have a little bit of a shared history. Mm-hmm. So no, you're, you're right. that is an instance where they're leaning a little bit on the Buffy history, but I'm totally fine with it because mm-hmm. I, I totally buy that Cordelia is already at that point with Wesley. Yeah. And this was another one where just like the one two episodes ago where it's like, especially with this episode, like I said, I think this one kind of went off the rails in the middle and then they they close it out with this just incredibly touching scene where I'm like, all right, well, I guess I didn't hate this episode because that was really sweet. (laughs) Yeah, they they want you to like it in spite of yourself. (laughs) And I did. Well, I liked where it ended up. We have not talked about the special guest epi- the special guest in this episode. So I told you there was going to be an actor yeah. that you recognized. Yeah. Vinny Van uh, Lowe, everybody. <laughs> he was in Party Down, too. But he's in all their yeah. shows. Yeah. And he's in a bunch of other stuff. Ken Marino. Yeah. It is kind of funny because I've mostly seen him, you know, now that he's like a little more middle-aged. Um, whereas in this episode, he's like, you know, supposed to be like a hotshot kind of in his 20s. Yeah, like he's he's not playing like the doofy guy. He's playing like the suave love interest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It was a little hard for me to make that switch now that I've seen him in so many of those like kind of of those more ridiculous and comedic roles. But I still enjoyed him. He sure was a slime bag in this episode, though. Yeah, he did not care at all about what he did to Cordelia. Mm Mm-mm. You know who wasn't a slime bag in this episode? <gasps> yes. Was Dennis. Yes. <laughs> the sweetest ghost ever. <laughs> I, st- I You know, I feel like he could have tried a little harder. Well, I don't think Do you, he knew that I that guy was know. like... You're right. He I just, don't think that's why he was... I think he was just like slightly jealous that Cordelia had brought a guest home, but I don't think okay. it was because he knew that he was like 
gonna try to implant her with demon seed. <laughs> I, I always took it that he knew a little more than just being jealous. But yeah, you're probably right. No, because if that were the case, then like even her threat of blasting Evita wouldn't really have made him stop. Right. Yeah. But I do like that they kind of dropped Dennis back in. <laughs> yeah. I know he's going to show up a few more times. Um, I don't know if it really warranted like a full mention in the flashbacks, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or the previously on, but yeah. Okay, so any final thoughts on expecting? Uh, no. Yeah, I don't think I do either. No. Um, okay, so next time we've got um, the Iron team and mm-hmm. um, she... Which I, don't remember. I remember I what one I of those episodes is about. Was, but, yeah, I thought I knew, but I don't think I know. Yep. I remember exciting. what the Buffy one is about. The angel one will be a surprise. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have any pop culture rec for this week? Um, I'm like fresh out. <laughs> no, I don't have any either. That's all right. We'll Sorry, guys. Take a break from imposing our pop culture will on the people. But I think this week, um, Team Giles, for sure. Yes, definitely. I'm also Team yep. Giles. Giles had my heart in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I will talk to you next week then. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. Once More with Commentary is produced by me, Allie. And me, Ginny. Our theme music is from the album Rockingham by Nerf Herder. And our podcast logo is by Ryan Cooney. You can email us at scoobies at oncemorewithcommentary.com with any feedback, questions, comments that you have, and find us on Twitter and Instagram at OMWC Podcast. You can also find our most recent episodes and any show notes at oncemorewithcommentary.com. 